Man, man, body believers. The word of God for the people of God. Today we're going to be looking out looking at resting in Jesus. Because we need rest. I'm not talking about rest of our physical rest, but I'm talking about of the soul of the spirit, resting in Christ, resting in Jesus. And Brother Fernando already got me. He's like, he was like, Jerome, what happened to the Beatitudes? Because <laughs> we, if you didn't, we've been doing a series on the Beatitudes. We've been going through Matthew 5 and um, just going through one, each, each one every week. And I, I wanted, we're, we're going to get back there. So don't, don't think I've abandoned the Beatitudes, but God has just been ministering to me about resting in Christ. And he just put this, this, he put it on me like, nah, you got to share this. And, um, and I wanted, I was like, maybe I could preach it later down the line and just continue, continue the uh, Beatitudes. But I'm like, nah, I got to preach this while it's burning in me right now. And so, uh, that's why we are not doing the Beatitudes today. So we're going to talk about resting in, in Jesus. And we'll be coming out of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. But I'm going to start at 25 and we're going to come down to 30. But our main text is Matthew 28 through 30. All right. And the word of God reads Matthew chapter 11, starting at 25, going down to 30. It says, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Here are our key texts, 28. Come to me, this is Jesus saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Come alive in us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, illuminate your scriptures. Decrease me, God. Increase yourself. May you open the hearts of your body, God, believers to receive your truth and to be transformed by your word. Holy Spirit, without you, we are nothing. We can't get it. You illuminate, you make clear. So make clear, God, minister to my brothers and sisters as you've been doing to me these past two weeks. In Jesus' name, his authority, his power, we pray. Amen. I want to start out with a quote from Augustine. He's a, a well-known church, early church father. And he has this quote. And this quote says this. It says, our heart is restless until it rests in you. That our heart is restless until it rests in you. This has become an all-time favorite quote of mine. I wish I had heard this quote or knew this quote when I was in college, my early years, if you will, and trying to understand the purpose of my life and why I'm living, what I'm called to do. Because for years, I struggled in trying to find my purpose. I struggled in trying to find my identity. 
I thought that if I found the right career, the right work, then and only then would I truly be happy. I drank society's Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid of find your career, find and you find true satisfaction and true rest and true peace. See, our, our world has turned education and career achievement into an idol or salvation. We are taught at a young age to focus on what we want to be when we grow up. We are taught to base our whole life on occupation and to pursue those things in life that bring us the most happiness. And in them, we will find true satisfaction. Well, here's the thing. The world's panacea to individual peace and salvation, it left out matters of the soul. The world never considered the wisdom of the psalmist in Psalm 62, verse 1 and 2, where David said, My soul waits in silence for God only. For him is my salvation. He is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not, um, I shall not be greatly shaken. Jesus also said in Matthew 4, 4, that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Therefore, the soul that tries to pursue life outside of God will be a weary soul, a soul that is never satisfied, always moving, always searching, always thinking if I get that next job, that next career, what about maybe this new wife, this new husband, maybe I get an extra couple stacks in the bank account, maybe then I will be satisfied, maybe then I will come to rest. No, they will be just like that busy bee going from plant to plant, looking for nectar and pollen, never at rest. And what happens to a person who is never at rest? They wear down, right? They get tired. They become irritable. They're not happy. They're not happy until they clock out, head home, sit on the couch and rest. So is the soul until it finds its rest in God through faith. So is the soul until it finds its rest in God through faith. So could it be that much of the world's dissatisfaction comes from a weariness of soul? People looking for rest in every place but God. Here in this text, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus recognizes soul weariness. He recognizes soul weariness in 28. So he makes an offer. He gives an invitation to come unto me and I will give you what you really need. It's rest, rest of the soul. See, I want you to notice something. Look at the people that Jesus calls. Look at the people that respond to him. And it's not the wise and intelligent as we see here in the first couple of verses. It's not those who are the wise and intelligent from this world's standards. It is not the rich or elite or those who, who find their sufficiency in themselves, but it is the weary ones. It's those who know that they are sick. 
He's calling the poor, poor spiritually, poor physically. It's the prostitute. It's the woman of sin. It's the hated tax collector. It's the lame. It's the cripple. It's the blind. It's those that society looks down upon. It's the person in Romans chapter 7 that said, who will deliver me from the body of this death? It's the poor in spirit. It's the woman who has had multiple abortions and because of the guilt inside is trying to earn God's favor through good works. It's the person that has a sketchy past and, and finds himself consumed in volunteerism because of the guilt and shame. It's the person that is tired of failing to keep God's commandments. To them, he's calling Come to me, you weary ones, you who are laboring. See, the first, first century Jewish community, they constantly labored work to keep the law of God. Imagine, they had 613 laws, 613 regulations that they were trying to keep. That's laboring. You're trying to keep all of these, these, these laws, 613, and you're constantly failing. You're constantly falling. And every time you sin and you fall, you gotta go, you gotta go make a sacrifice, a physical sacrifice. You gotta go sacrifice a, a bull or a lamb or you're bringing a dove. And not only that, you have all of these, these, these ceremonial offerings, these, these ceremonial things that you have to do. You gotta go and wash your hands. If you, if you touch a person who's dead, now you're unclean. Or if you touch a woman who's on her, her, what's her name? You know, you, you're unclean. If you touch a leopard, you have, you have all of these things that you have to keep. All of these, these, these regulations on you that you're trying to follow. And that can be very, really laborious. Because you're working, trying to earn God's favor by keeping these laws. And if keeping God's law perfectly was not hard enough, you had this, this religious community, these leaders that added additional burdens upon the weighty requirements of God's law. So this is why Jesus, when he's speaking to the people, he's saying, come to me, all who are heavy laden, who are laboring. See, the Greek word for, for heavy laden, it, it, it means to load upon, to stack upon. It's kind of like if you, if you were going for a hike or something and you were going to take a, 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 a horse or a donkey and you were loading up all of your, your tents, your, your, your food, your clothing, and you're loading all upon this donkey. That's what it means to be heavy laden. The people, uh, the religious rulers, they were adding all of these additional burdens to the people of God in addition to the 613 laws that they already had to keep. See, when, when you, when you think about that, that's the heavy load that they were carrying. That's, that's the striving. That's, that's the working that they were doing. And so Jesus calls the, the, the religious leaders, actually, he calls them out for adding these additional burdens upon the people. I want to show you this. Go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, verse 4. So they already have all these 613 laws that they have to keep trying to earn God's favor. And then you have these scribes and Pharisees that are now adding these additional laws, these additional burdens. And so Jesus in here in Matthew 23, he, he calls the religious elite out for that. Look what he says in, in, in verse 3, I mean, uh, verse 4, chapter 23. He's speaking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Look what he says. He says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. 
Do you see that? They are, they are not even able to move them with their finger. I'm going to give you another one. In Luke uh, 11.46, he says, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh down men with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves would not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. See, they were adding all of these, these extra rules and regulations, and they weren't even doing them themselves. See, they were hypocrites. They're adding all these additional laws to the, to the people, and they're not even moving it themselves. You know, it's just it's easy to point the finger at others, right, and to tell them to get your life right. You need to get your act together. But then how is your own act? How is your own life? But that's what they were doing. And see, see what triggered the religious rulers' hatred of Jesus, why they hated Jesus so, what, what triggered all the hatred was that he would constantly transgress their commandments. Not Moses' commandments, their laws, their extra burdens. He would constantly transgress those burdens. For example, on the Sabbath, go back to our main text. Go back to uh, Matthew 11. I want to show you something here. We were in Matthew 11. I want to show you in 12 the problem that they constantly had with, with Jesus. Now, I want to show you something. Look at verse 1 through 2. I'm going to just read it to you real quick. It said, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat. Now, look, here come that religious establishment. Look what happens. But when the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. See, God said on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to work. But what these religious rulers did, they went and established and made their own commandments. See, the Jewish community, they have this thing called halakha. And it, there's, it's 39 categories of things that you can't do on the Sabbath, even though God's word doesn't say that. God's word, God, God's word didn't say that his disciples couldn't go and pick wheat and grain. See, his disciples were just walking through the field. And as you walked through the field, they were grabbing some wheat and grain. They were beginning to eat it. And they're like, oh, no, you, you can't do that. That's considered work. Why? Because of the commandments and traditions that they made for themselves. They made all these additional, these additional burdens for people to obey. For example, even right now, on the Sabbath day, you can't drive a car. Because that car is going to have some ignition. Ignition is going to cause a spark. And a spark is fire. A fire is considered work. So that's why when you go to like Jerusalem, you go to a Jewish country on a Sabbath, you can't watch TV. You can't have any electricity. Why? That's all considered fire. That's work. So everything shuts down on a Sabbath. Why? Because they added all these additional burdens, all of these additional laws on top of the things that God has. And see, before we go and, and lift up our nose at these Sadducees and, and these religious leaders for adding these additional burdens, you must understand, guess what? We have a little bit of Sadducee and Pharisee in us, too, as well, because we as Christians, we like to put burdens or additional things upon people as well that God's word doesn't. Oh, did, did I? Were you just listening to Marvin Gaye on the radio? Were you just listening to to worldly music? You're not really Christian because if you were really Christian, you would you wouldn't be listening to that. Whoa! Did I just see you take a, a sip of alcohol? You're, you're not really a Christian because if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't be drinking that. See, we go and we make our own commandments and then we place them on people because we're making our own standard of holiness. And when you do that, you're adding a burden on people's shoulders. And that's what these religious rulers were, do, were doing 
And that's why Jesus says, come unto me. All of you who are, who are laboring, who are weary and have these heavy burdens placed upon you, come unto me and I will give you rest. So you got to understand when Jesus is saying that, he's speaking to a first century Jewish mind. The people who were trying to earn God's favor by keeping these laws, by doing all of these heavy burdens, all of the things that were placed on them. But here's the question that I want you to consider. The question I want you to consider is, what if the person hearing Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, what if the person hearing Jesus say, come unto me and I will give you rest? What if that person was not a first century Jew striving to keep the Mosaic law and not under some religious authority of the religious rulers of that day? How can Jesus free them? How can he give them rest? What if there were pagans in that audience when Jesus says, come unto me and I will give you rest? What if there were people of other faiths, other religions in that audience when Jesus said, come unto me and give and I will give you rest? How can they receive rest? Or better yet, how does this verse apply to you? Or, or how does this verse apply to the atheist in 2017? How, how can he give that person rest? How can they receive this promise of rest? Or is this verse only relevant to first century Jews under the Mosaic law? That's the question I want you to consider. See, here's the thing. Outside of Christianity, you can sum up most religions like this. You have a set of rules. You have a set of commandments. And in order to get to God's, or if you're pagan, you would say to the gods, you have to keep these rules. You have to keep these regulations. And if you do good enough, if you keep enough, whatever enough is, you never know what enough is. If you do enough good, then you will eventually earn heaven or some enlightened state. For example, in Buddhism, you have the, the eightfold path. You, you follow this eightfold path and you can get to this place of nirvana, right? With Islam, you have the five pillars. So you, 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 got, you follow these rules. See, it's the same thing with Judaism. You have this religious system that you have to strive to keep all of these rules. And not only do you have to strive to keep all of these rules, in addition to that, you're going to have some religious teacher adding some additional burdens on you, some guru adding some additional burdens on you, and you come to find that the, the pagan, the other religions, they're just like this first century Jew that is sitting here striving, working, never at rest because they're trying to reach God. It becomes the same way. Or what if you're an atheist or secular person? How does this, this apply to you? What if you're an atheist person and you're under no spiritual authority and you're not yoked to any religious system? Then guess what? All of the pressures of life, all of the pressures of peace, of success, deliverance, they're now placed on your shoulders. You add that burden to yourself. See, it's it's the same thing. For example, take a Wall Street stockbroker. Take that young Wall Street stockbroker who is ambitious to be the best broker on Wall Street. He, he, he goes and he goes to work and he works constantly. He works overtime. He does his research on all the companies because he is ambitious. He is desiring to be the greatest stockbroker that New York has ever seen. He reaches his accomplishment. He becomes great. He gets the best of deals. 
But guess what? There's no resting for that man. Because he knows there's another young whippersnapper that is gunning for his title. He, he, he can't rest on his laurels because he knows that somebody else is coming that's trying to take his spot. See, he, he can never be at peace because he's always looking for the next big thing, the next big deal, the next big stock, the next big company. Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be happy. See, he is constantly moving. He will never be satisfied. He is still restless. Or you can be that young professional desiring to be the greatest in your profession, whether that is doctor, lawyer, uh, scientist, entertainer, athlete, teacher. The pressure for greatness becomes to be a weight on your shoulders. Matter of fact, I was, I was watching an interview of a, of a Christian artist who has recently come into a lot of fame. His album's doing really well. He's really popular. But he says he has lately been dealing with anxiety and he's never had his anxiety before. And in an interview, he states that his anxiety was triggered by his drive to be great in the industry. He wanted to be the best. And because he wanted to be the best and he didn't want to disappoint, he was always comparing himself to others in the industry. And that was driving him crazy. That was driving him to a point of having major anxiety. And not only was he having major anxiety from always comparing himself to the next great person, he said he was beginning to find his identity in his profession. See, if it is not religious rules and burdens that rob you of your rest, then it's going to be something else. There's going to be something else loaded on your shoulders. What is the pressure that you put on yourself? What is the pressure of society riding on your back? What is the pressure of your culture, your ethnicity to be a certain way? What is the pressure of your parents, your friends, your mentors to perform a certain way? There's always going to be that heavy laden, that, that burden resting upon your shoulders. And you will never ultimately be at rest, at peace. So the atheist the other religion, the pagan, the first century Jewish mind, they all are on the same page here. They're working for something that they can't earn, that they can't get through works, through, through, through actions, through activity. So Jesus is saying, if you're that person in need of rest, I, I have that rest. I offer that rest. I am that rest. But how do we enter into this rest that Jesus is saying, come to me and get? Look at verse 29 in our text. He shows us the entry point into this rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In the Jewish culture, to take on the yoke, it meant to bring yourself into complete submission under the complete authority of another. That's what yoke means. So, for example, if I, if I wanted to become Jewish by the Jewish faith, if I wanted to enter in, I would have to take on the yoke, they would say, of Moses. Or I would take on the yoke, they would say, of the kingdom. Meaning I would bring myself into complete submission to the Tanakh, which is their word. It's the Old Testament. They don't say Old Testament. You never go to a Jewish person and say Old Testament. You're insulting them by that. You're saying you got something better, and they're already going to close your mind when you speak. So you say the Tanakh. That's what they call the Old Testament. 
So to, to become a Jew, you bring yourself under the yoke of the Tanakh. Or, or, or bring yourself under the yoke meant, um, it meant a person who is bringing themselves under complete submission, under the complete authority of a rabbi who was discipling them. That's also what it meant to be, to take on a yoke. You were bringing yourself under the complete authority and submission of the rabbi who was discipling, discipling you. So in the first century, for example, in first century Judaism, when a rabbi selected a student to be his, his disciple, um, they, they don't say disciple. They say Talmudin, a Talmudin, or I'm sorry, Talmudin. So disciples are American word or English word, but the real word is Talmudin or Talmudin. I always say it wrong. And so that Talmudin, the disciple, he would bring himself under the complete submission to the rabbi. And he was said to be taken on the rabbi's yoke of teaching when he brought himself into complete submission to that rabbi. And so the reason that this, this Talmudian brought himself under the complete submission of that rabbi is because he had the desire to be like that rabbi in his walk with God. He wanted to be exactly like the rabbi. He believed in the rabbi's walk with God. And so his desire was to be exactly like that rabbi in his walk and his approach to God. So because he wanted to be like that rabbi, he would come under his yoke. He would take his yoke of teaching, his yoke of interpretation of the Old Testament. Testament and whatever the rabbi's interpretation is, that will become now his interpretation. So he's taken on the yoke of that rabbi. And because that's how me and he, he wanted to so be like his rabbi. Guess what he would do to that rabbi? He would follow that rabbi everywhere he went. The rabbi went to the bathroom. He, he literally went to the bathroom. The rabbi walked over here. He walked with the rabbi. He followed the rabbi every place he wanted, every place that rabbi went so he can see, okay, how did the rabbi deal with this circumstance? How did the rabbi deal with this? See, he so wanted to be like his rabbi that he went everywhere with him. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he said, come be my disciple. Come follow me. Come learn of me. Come be everywhere with me. Come be my disciple so you can be like me. Th that's what it means to be Jesus' town meeting. It's, I'm, I'm following him. I'm so closely following him. Matter of fact, the, the rabbis had a saying in the Jewish culture. They would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Man, may you follow so close with your rabbi as he walk and he kicks up dust. You are now covered in his dust. So we're supposed to be covered in the dust of Jesus, follow him so closely that his dust is kicking up. I'm following him, trying to be like him in every way possible. That's what it means to take the yoke of Jesus. So he's Jesus is saying here, come and take on my yoke. Come be my disciple and I will lead you to the place of rest. I am rest. I will do for you what you can't do by trying to keep those good works. You would never earn God's favor by your good deeds. It is only through me. I do it for you. I do the work. So he's saying, come unto me. Take my yoke upon you. Come and you will find rest for your souls. And in 29, when he says, take your yoke upon me, he says, learn of me. And when you come and learn of me, he said, you will find that I am meek and humble and humble in heart. 
Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Jesus is essentially, he's advertising. He's saying, you see this over here, over here, on this other yoke over here that you're already yoked to, there's weariness, there's, there's burdens, there's legalism, all the stuff you're doing on your own, you're trying to be great, you're trying to do all of this, over there, that's, that's all burden, that's stress over here, that's legalism over here, that's tyranny over here. But over here with me, there's humility, there's meekness. So when he says come, he said choose, come, leave the other yoke in and come to me, make a decision, come, come unto me and I will give you that, that deepest desire that's in you at rest of the soul. See, your souls were made to find its rest in God. You're trying to find it in every place, but you come unto me and you will find that rest. You will find that place of peace. You will find that satisfaction. When Jesus says that you will find rest for your souls in 29, he's quoting Jeremiah 6.16. In Jeremiah 6.16, Jeremiah is talking to the children of Israel. And the children of Israel had already turned from God. They're living in the world. They're wilding. They're clubbing. They're chasing the women. They're doing all the different things that people in the world do. They're chasing their goals. They're forgetting about God. They're chasing the money. They're doing all these different things. God is in the back. And Jeremiah tells them that they need to repent. And they need to turn back to the old ways of serving God. And he tells them that when you find that good path and you walk down that good path, you will find rest for your souls. That's the context of Jeremiah. When you find this path that you used to be doing, children of Israel, when you go back to those old ways that you were living when you were truly serving God, he said, then you will find rest for your soul. So when, so what Jesus, when he's quoting Jeremiah here, Jesus is saying that I'm the path. I'm the path that leads to rest. I'm the good shepherd in Psalms 23 that, that makes you lie down in green pastures. That, that's rest. In Matthew 12, look here, your Bible should already be there. Look what he says in Matthew 12, 8. I want you to see what he says here. In Matthew 12, 8, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What was the Sabbath? The Sabbath was a day of rest. So Jesus Christ, in saying that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath, is saying that I'm the Lord of rest. I'm the King of rest. You want rest? I'm the Lord of it. I have all authority over it. That's me. Rest is my middle name, so to speak. See, he says, I'm the son of man. He's he's Lord of the Sabbath. I am rest. You come unto me, you find rest. You follow me, I I lead to rest. See, he's the one. And his disciples, you got got to understand, when, when they were walking with Jesus, they did not understand everything that Jesus was, was going to do initially. It was only until after the resurrection, when he gave them the Holy Spirit, did they come to truly know him and find their ultimate rest in him. 
But other than that, guess what? As they walked with Jesus and learned of him and watched him perform miracles, it was like, whoa, whoa, I can, I can trust him in this area. Wow, you, you see that? He just, he just healed somebody. So now I know I can trust Jesus with my, my body. It's like, whoa, he just raised somebody from the dead. Oh, I, I guess I can now trust him with my life. Whoa, he just fed a multitude with a few fish and a few pieces of bread. That means I can trust him to provide for me. See, as they walked with Jesus and learned for him, then they learned to trust him and they learned to rest in him. See, it's walking with him. As they watched him calm the seas by displaying his power and authority over nature, then they realized I can rest in his power and authority in my life. My brothers and sisters, I must ask you, are you resting in Jesus' power and authority? This could be why you're so stressed out. You're not resting. You're not believing in Jesus' power or authority. You're trying to do it yourself. Let me tell you how the Lord's been dealing with me and how we even got here and how he's just been ministering to me. The Lord was saying, Jerome, do you believe that I love you? Yes, Lord, I, I believe you love me. Believe that, yes. Jerome, do you believe that I am working all things for your good and to my glory? Romans 8, 28. Yes, Lord, I believe you're working all things for my good and to my glory. Then why are you stressing, Jerome? If you believe that I have all power and authority to even stop the sun from shining if I choose, if you believe that I'm working all things to your glory, even things that you don't understand, even things that you don't like, if, if you believe that, then stop worrying and, and rest in me. And that's what God did for me two weeks ago, and that's why I'm still stuck here in this verse. He was showing me, just, just rest in me. And you know us in our flesh, our humanity, we start to go, but we, we start to do the but gods. But God, but what about this? God, but what about this problem I'm going to over here? But, but God, it's not good over here, God. And, and but what about this struggle I'm having over here, God? And, and but what? You know how we just do these all but what gods? I know what your word said, but, but what about this? But what about that? And he's, it's just rest in me. Do you believe that I'm working all things for your good? Do you believe that I'm good? Do you believe that even things that are, when they're wrong, you don't understand that I'm still working them for your good brothers and sisters. There are things that you're going through right now that are bothering you and you feel like you don't get it. You're praying and you want it to change. But you got to know that God is still working all things for your good if you truly know him to the call. Those who are, who are called, those who are followers and disciples of Jesus. He's still working all things even when you don't get it. Even when it seems all bad, God, the Bible says that he works all things, not just some things, but all things, even the stuff we don't get. See, we can rest in that verse in Romans 8, 28. We can rest in God in that, knowing that even though I don't get it, God, even though it doesn't feel good at the moment, God, I'm trusting that your word is true. I'm trusting that you're good and that you're working all things for my good and to your glory. That's rest. See, this is a predicament that those first century hearers were in when they heard these words of Jesus because all they ever knew was the Mosaic law, 
All they ever knew was what their religious teachers taught them. And now you have this other person telling me to completely abandon this yoke that I have yoked to since I was a kid. I've been under this rule and authority forever. God, I've been doing these drugs forever. God, I've, I've been in debt forever. God, I've been having low self-esteem forever. And you're telling me to just to let this go and now just to trust and hold on to you, Jesus? See, the hardest thing sometimes is just letting go of that old yoke, those old ways, and fully trusting in Jesus and resting in him. It takes something to let go, to place your full, your full salvation, your full faith in Christ for protection, for provisions, for your right standing with God. It takes something. And Jesus ends this discourse In verse 30, by saying that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I was perplexed by that verse forever. Jesus, your burden, your yoke is easy and your burden is light. So I immediately went to the but God, right? But God, what about Paul? Paul was stoned. He was beaten with a rod. He was naked. Stephen was stoned to death. People were martyred. How can you say that your burden is, is light? How can you say that, God? How can you say that your burden is light and your yoke is easy? When I've seen so many Christians in Islam beheaded. How can you, Jesus, how can you say that this burden is easy? It's light. Your yoke is easy. How can you say that? See, he can say that because when you yoke up with Jesus, you're not yoking up to a mere man with human limitations. But you're yoking up to the Son of God with all power and authority. That's how his burden can be light because he is carrying the load. It is his Holy Spirit working inside of you and moving you to do those things that you feel like you can. See, that's how his burden becomes easy. You're not yoking up to a mere rabbi with some teachings, but you're actually yoking up to the living word. That's how. You're yoking up to oh, the, the, the one who's already met the perfect status of God, and now you get that righteousness. His burden, his yoke becomes easy because now you can serve God out of love and a grateful heart and not in rest and commandments. You can do it out of love now. The Apostle Paul would always make that clear. For, the, for example, he would say in a 1 Corinthians 15.10, uh, he says that it is uh, it is him who is doing it. Oh, he would say that it's not me that's actually doing this work when it asks about why he labors so hard as possible. But he would say it's the grace of God within me. It's not me that's doing all of this you see me doing. It's the grace of God. It's, it's the Lord. He, he's carrying the burden. He's carrying it. Or in a verse that we read in Galatians 2.20, he says it's no longer I who lives. But is Christ living in me? Is he that lives in me? That's how I'm able to overcome these heavy things, all these things that the world says. Man, how are you doing that as a believer? God is carrying the load. So Jesus is saying here, come unto me. I'll give you the rest. 
I will make you right with God. You can't make yourself. You can't keep this law. You've been trying for hundreds of years. Sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Frustration. I will lead you to that path of rest. It's through me you come to God. See, as the disciples began to walk with him and yoke up with him and learn of him, they come to see that he is truly the slain lamb. That he is God's sacrifice. That they no longer have to walk, that you no longer have to work to earn God's favor. So you can rest now. You can rest. You don't got to keep worrying about this. You can just come and rest in Jesus because he has all authority, all power. You can just rest in him. But it's to that believer who has made that commitment to yoke up with him. Without yoking up, there is no rest. Without coming to his, his complete uh, uh, submitting to your life to Jesus, without you submitting to his, his authority, without you submitting, not, you're, you're not yoked up yet. No, yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. And no, that's, that's not yoked up. Yoked up is saying, you're Lord of my life now. What you say goes, goes. Your word says this, that's final. I'm, I'm not debating it. That, that's yoked up. That's what, what the Talmud Dean would do with his rabbi. Whatever the rabbi said, that's what I'm doing. I'm following whatever he says. It's no more me. I, I'm die, I died to my old self, my old ways, and now it's Jesus. It's, it's whatever you say. That's coming under the yoke of Christ. And he says, as you follow me, as you follow me, I'm going to lead to rest. See, my, my ways lead to rest. I'm rest and my ways lead to rest. It's only through Jesus that we get this, my brothers and sisters. So are you yoked up with the master? Have you submitted your life to his, his authority? Have you submitted yourself to Christ? Are you just making a profession with your mouth? It's the person who's yoked up. That's the person that comes to God and finds rest. Other than that, your soul is going to keep searching. I don't care how many girls you get, how many guys, I don't care how many clothes, I don't care how many cars with rims, I don't care how, how popping the club is, I don't care how good the blunt tastes when you smoke it, I don't care how good the bottle, all of those things, none of them would satisfy. None of them. You're just kicking the bottle longer down the road. It's never going to satisfy. He's the one that gives you rest. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the rest. Jesus, we rest in your power and authority in our lives, Lord God. There's no more trying to meet up and beat the Joneses, God. It's no more just trying to reach for greatness in ourselves, God, but we're just trusting in you and what you've done. Our satisfaction is in you and not in the things of this world, God. And with our rest in you, God, thank you. We can now look at your beautiful creation and see it and enjoy it for what it is and no longer worship it, God. We thank you for the salvation. We thank you for the rest. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen.